the Bible, the most unique book in all of human history. It claims to be divine in origin, and it delivers a message that, if true, affects every human being on the planet Earth, in this life, and in whatever awaits us when this life is over. The Bible is unique in its survival. Over the past 2,000 years, no other book has been subjected to the intense scrutiny that the Bible has endured. Generations of linguists, historians, and archaeologists have explored the details of the Bible's production and tested the accuracy of its transmission to us today. Critics and foes have come and gone. Problems have been raised and solved, and still the Bible stands. Totally alone in the degree of its historical accuracy and reliability. The Bible is also unique in foretelling future events. The Old Testament alone contains over 2,000 specific predictions about people, cities, nations, and empires. Predictions made hundreds of years before being perfectly fulfilled in history. The Bible is unique in its influence. It's been called the fountainhead of Western civilization and is by far the most quoted text in America's founding documents. Millions of men, women, and children from every station and walk of life have felt the liberating, redeeming power of this book of books, and their changed lives have changed the world and the course of history. The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar is your opportunity to hear this unique book, the entire Bible, every year. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, Soapy Dollar. And here we are, thanking you, as always, for joining with us tonight. How'd your day go today, folks? Isn't it wonderful to wake up every day and know that all is right with you and the Creator? You and your God, you're in His hand, you're protected, you're guided, you're provided for, and that you can then be free to just walk through the day loving other people, caring about other people. Paul is telling the people of Corinth about that. He's trying to help them get out of the mud in the world in which they live and lift them up to see ourselves as God sees us and see our world as God sees it. It is such a different vision, such an empowering vision as well. Well, we'll get to that as we finish up the book of 2 Corinthians tonight. Right now, though, let's go to Proverbs chapter 22, this God-centered nuggets of wisdom on the Bible life. Proverbs 22, 1 through 16. Choose a good reputation over great riches, for being held in high esteem is better than having silver or gold. The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord made them both. A prudent person foresees the danger ahead and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. True humility and fear of the Lord lead to riches, honor, and long life. The deceitful walk a thorny, treacherous road. Whoever values life will stay away. Teach your children to choose the right path, and when they are older, they will remain upon it. Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. Those who plant seeds of injustice will harvest disaster, and their reign of terror will end. Blessed are those who are generous, because they feed the poor. Throw out the mocker, and fighting, quarrels, and insults will disappear. Anyone who loves a pure heart and gracious speech is the king's friend. The Lord preserves knowledge, but he ruins the plans of the deceitful. 
The lazy person is full of excuses, saying, If I go outside, I might meet a lion in the street and be killed. The mouth of an immoral woman is a deep pit. Those living under the Lord's displeasure will fall into it. A youngster's heart is filled with foolishness, but discipline will drive it away. A person who gets ahead by oppressing the poor or by showering gifts on the rich will end in poverty. End of reading, Proverbs 22, 1 through 16. I'm finding myself at a loss for words. And the funny thing is, it's okay. The last thing I need is to be heard, but to hear what you would say. Word of God speaks. You're listening to the Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. That's what we look for each and every night, that the Word of God would speak to our hearts. We are making our way through, of course, the entire Bible as we do each and every year. But right now we're in the New Testament finishing up the books of First and Second Corinthians, these two letters that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. He had been a part of founding this congregation, leading the first group of men and women to faith in Christ, discipling them building up a leadership so that there now is a congregation of men and women who know the Lord and love the Lord there in Corinth. He wrote four letters in all. We have the second and the fourth of those four letters. We know that because in the books themselves, they reference other letters that he had written. We've come down to 2 Corinthians, and of course, as I've mentioned before, it is very personal and very autobiographical. Paul shares more about his own life, his own experiences. We read the book of Acts, and we saw many of those incredible adventures that he had as he took the gospel from city to city across the Roman Empire in the first century shipwrecks and meeting wizards and magicians, military people, Roman officers, political people, and people from every strata of society in his time. The amazing life that Paul had in that first century as he took this message of hope, this message of redemption and salvation to a humanity that was suffering. And I'm not just talking about economic suffering. Over half the people of the Roman Empire in these times were in bondage, in slavery, actually. So, yes, it was a difficult time, but spiritually, they were without hope. Spiritually, there was incredible darkness, and he brings the light of the gospel, the possibility of a confident, secure relationship with the true and living God. It's like water in a parched land, in a parched desert. In our last few chapters, Paul defends a collection, an offering that is being taken For the suffering people in Jerusalem, believers in Jerusalem were going through a great deal of suffering and persecution. The Corinthian church, with leadership, I think, of Timothy or Titus, had thought, we want to send this offering. So Paul commends them for their generosity. The New Testament never enjoins us for tithing or any kind of ritualistic giving, as it was in the Old Testament, essentially a temple tax. Jesus and the apostles simply enjoin us to be generous, to be loving, to be giving. We don't owe 10% to God. 100% of what we have belongs to God. 
For some, they may give 50 to 60% of their income because of what they have. We're not enjoined by percentage. We're just enjoined by love and generosity. Let's pick up now in chapter 10 where Paul defends his authority and gives final directions. 2 Corinthians 10, 1 through 13, 14. 2 Corinthians 10. Now I, Paul, plead with you. I plead with the gentleness and kindness that Christ himself would use. Even though some of you say I am bold in my letters but timid in person. I hope it won't be necessary, but when I come, I may have to be very bold with those who think we act from purely human motives. We are human, but we don't wage war with human plans and methods. We use God's mighty weapons, not mere worldly weapons, to knock down the devil's strongholds. With these weapons, we break down every proud argument that keeps people from knowing God. With these weapons, we conquer their rebellious ideas, and we teach them to obey Christ. And we will punish those who remained disobedient after the rest of you became loyal and obedient. The trouble with you is that you make your decisions on the basis of appearance. You must recognize that we belong to Christ just as much as those who proudly declare that they belong to Christ. I may seem to be boasting too much about the authority given to us by the Lord, But this authority is to build you up, not to tear you down. And I will not be put to shame by having my work among you destroyed. Now, this is not just an attempt to frighten you by my letters. For some say, don't worry about Paul. His letters are demanding and forceful, but in person he is weak and his speeches are really bad. The ones who say this must realize that we will be just as demanding and forceful in person as we are in our letters. Oh, don't worry, I wouldn't dare say that I am as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are. But they are only comparing themselves with each other and measuring themselves by themselves. What foolishness! But we will not boast of authority we do not have. Our goal is to stay within the boundaries of God's plan for us. And this plan includes our working there with you. We are not going too far when we claim authority over you. For we were the first to travel all the way to you with the good news of Christ. Nor do we claim credit for the work someone else has done. Instead, we hope that your faith will grow and that our work among you will be greatly enlarged. Then we will be able to go and preach the good news in other places that are far beyond you, where no one else is working. Then there will be no question about being in someone else's territory. As the scriptures say, the person who wishes to boast should boast only of what the Lord has done. When people boast about themselves, it doesn't count for much. But when the Lord commends someone, that's different. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. 2 Corinthians 11 I hope you will be patient with me as I keep on talking like a fool. Please bear with me. I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. For I promised you as a pure bride to one husband. Christ. But I fear that somehow you will be led away from your pure and simple devotion to Christ, just as Eve was deceived by the serpent. You seem to believe whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach about a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. But I don't think I am inferior to these super apostles. I may not be a trained speaker, but I know what I am talking about. I think you realize this by now, for we have proved it again and again. 
Did I do wrong when I humbled myself and honored you by preaching God's good news to you without expecting anything in return? I robbed other churches by accepting their contributions so I could serve you at no cost. And when I was with you and didn't have enough to live on, I did not ask you to help me. For the brothers who came from Macedonia brought me another gift. I have never yet asked you for any support, and I never will. As surely as the truth of Christ is in me, I will never stop boasting about this all over Greece. Why? Because I don't love you? God knows I do. But I will continue doing this to cut the ground out from under the feet of those who boast that their work is just like ours. These people are false apostles. They have fooled you by disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. But I am not surprised. Even Satan can disguise himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder his servants can also do it by pretending to be godly ministers. In the end, they will get every bit of punishment their wicked deeds deserve. Once again, don't think that I have lost my wits to talk like this. But even if you do, listen to me as you would to a foolish person, while I also boast a little. Such bragging is not something the Lord wants, but I am acting like a fool. And since others boast about their human achievements, I will too. After all, you, who think you are so wise, enjoy listening to fools. You put up with it when they make you their slaves. Take everything you have. Take advantage of you. Put on airs and slap you in the face. I'm ashamed to say that we were not strong enough to do that. But whatever they dare to boast about, I'm talking like a fool again, I can boast about it too. They say they are Hebrews, do they? So am I. And they say they are Israelites. So am I. And they are descendants of Abraham. So am I. They say they serve Christ. I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder been put in jail more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jews gave me thirty-nine lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled many weary miles. I have faced danger from flooded rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the stormy seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be Christians but are not. I have lived with weariness and pain and sleepless nights. Often I have been hungry and thirsty and have gone without food. Often I have shivered with cold, without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then, besides all this, I have the daily burden of how the churches are getting along. Who is weak without my feeling that weakness? Who is led astray and I do not burn with anger? If I must boast, I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows I tell the truth. When I was in Damascus, the governor under King Aretas kept guards at the city gates to catch me. But I was lowered in a basket through a window in the city wall, and that's how I got away. You're listening to The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. 2 Corinthians 12 This boasting is all so foolish, but let me go on. Let me tell about the visions and revelations I received from the Lord. I was caught up into the third heaven 14 years ago. 
Whether my body was there or just my spirit, I don't know. Only God knows. But I do know that I was caught up into paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be told. That experience is something worth boasting about, but I am not going to do it. I am going to boast only about my weaknesses. I have plenty to boast about and would be no fool in doing it because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it. I don't want anyone to think more highly of me than what they can actually see in my life and my message, even though I have received wonderful revelations from God. But to keep me from getting puffed up, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from getting proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, My gracious favor is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may work through me. Since I know it is all for Christ's good, I am quite content with my weaknesses and with insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You have made me act like a fool, boasting like this. You ought to be writing commendations for me, for I am not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing at all. When I was with you, I certainly gave you every proof that I am truly an apostle, sent to you by God himself. For I patiently did many signs and wonders and miracles among you. The only thing I didn't do, which I do in the other churches, was to become a burden to you. Please forgive me for this wrong. Now I am coming to you for the third time, and I will not be a burden to you. I don't want what you have. I want you. And anyway, little children don't pay for their parents' food. It's the other way around. Parents supply food for their children. I will gladly spend myself and all I have for your spiritual good, even though it seems that the more I love you, the less you love me. Some of you admit I was not a burden to you, but they still think I was sneaky and took advantage of you by trickery. But how? Did any of the men I sent to you take advantage of you? When I urged Titus to visit you and sent our other brother with him, did Titus take advantage of you? No, of course not. For we both have the same spirit and walk in each other's steps, doing things the same way. Perhaps you think we are saying all this just to defend ourselves. That isn't it at all. We tell you this as Christ's servants, and we know that God is listening. Everything we do, dear friends, is for your benefit. For I am afraid that when I come to visit you, I won't like what I find, and then you won't like my response. I am afraid that I will find quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfishness, backstabbing, gossip, conceit, and disorderly behavior. Yes, I am afraid that when I come, God will humble me again because of you. And I will have to grieve because many of you who sinned earlier have not repented of your impurity, sexual immorality, and eagerness for lustful pleasure. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. 2 Corinthians 13. This is the third time I am coming to visit you. As the scriptures say, the facts of every case must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I have already warned those who had been sinning when I was there on my second visit. Now I again warn them and all others, just as I did before, that this next time I will not spare them. I will give you all the proof you want that Christ speaks through me. Christ is not weak in his dealings with you. 
He is a mighty power among you. Although he died on the cross in weakness, he now lives by the mighty power of God. We too are weak, but we live in him and have God's power, the power we use in dealing with you. Examine yourselves to see if your faith is really genuine. Test yourselves. If you cannot tell that Jesus Christ is among you, it means you have failed the test. I hope you recognize that we have passed the test and are approved by God. We pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. We pray this not to show that our ministry to you has been successful, but because we want you to do right, even if we ourselves seem to have failed. Our responsibility is never to oppose the truth, but to stand for the truth at all times. We are glad to be weak if you are really strong. What we pray for is your restoration to maturity. I am writing this to you before I come, hoping that I won't need to deal harshly with you when I do come. For I want to use the authority the Lord has given me to build you up, not to tear you down. Dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words. Rejoice! Change your ways! Encourage each other! Live in harmony and peace! Then the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet each other in Christian love. All the Christians here send you their greetings. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. End of reading, 2 Corinthians 10, 1 through 13, 14. What did you hear tonight as you listen to these final chapters now from the book of 2 Corinthians, this second letter that, well, the fourth letter actually, that Paul wrote to the church there in Corinth, the second letter that we have. One thing I saw here, I'm trying to find it as I'm talking to you now. You can tell that Paul is embarrassed to be talking so much about himself. He says, I'm being crazy again or whatever, but Paul felt that this was necessary the church in Corinth, the believers in Corinth, were being led astray. He says, you seem to believe what anybody tells you. That happens in today's world as well. It seems like anybody that's got a collar on or calls himself reverend, a lot of people just believe anything anybody tells them, and they don't want to do the work of thinking for themselves and engaging, getting involved with God. Remember what the word Israel means. We are the people of Israel. Those who know the Lord, we are spiritual Israel in the lineage of faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There was a biological, physical people group called Israel. Jacob, his name was changed to Israel. So they became the children of Israel. They were a type. They were a symbol. They were an example of God's people. God's people, true Israel, are those who have wrestled with God and won. Remember, that's what the name actually means. So if you're going to be a believer, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ and come into this relationship with God, you need to get in and wrestle with the concepts, wrestle with the truths. We need to 
do the work of learning the truth about God, the truth about ourselves. That's what Paul is telling the people of Corinth. Don't just believe anything anybody tells you just because they're handsome or they have a great vocabulary or or they can quote some verses out of the Bible or they can give a great sermon or they say things that you like to hear. That's not what we go on. What we need to go on is the truth of God's word. Paul is embarrassing himself, he says, to speak so much about himself, but he has to establish before them his credentials that he actually is bringing them the truth of God's word, and he is exalting Jesus the Messiah, not himself, that Jesus needs to be the focus. The Corinthians' pure and simple devotion to Christ was being threatened by false teachings, and Paul didn't want the believers to lose their single-minded love for Jesus. Keeping Christ first in your life can be very difficult when you have so many distractions threatening to sidetrack your faith. Just as Eve lost her focus by listening to the serpent, you can lose your focus by letting your life become overcrowded and confused, especially in the era in which we live. We need so very much to be into God's Word, letting Him speak truth into our lives, truth that indeed sets us free. One of the most well-known quotes from Karl Marx is that religion is the opiate or opium of the masses. I've heard back and forth over the years that it certainly could be of some truth if religion is used to manipulate people. And some of that takes place, there's no doubt about it. Now there is a true, legitimate, genuine religion that's very simple, that's not manipulative, that is servant-hearted to take care of the widows and the orphans. A simple goodness to it. Well, Paul is trying to keep a little Corinth and protect them from the opiate of religion and getting them into that true devotion to Christ. See you next time. Hope he reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndale House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your financial support is needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now don't forget, join us each weekday for The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Start today, and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's Word.